It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 154, Treachery in Jerusalem It was a very sad day in Jerusalem when King Jehoshaphat died. The country mourned for him greatly, and only the prophet Elijah and a wretched woman knew what was going to happen next. The wretched daughter-in-law of Jehoshaphat, with greedy hands, excites herself to her ambitious future. With idols of Baal in her heart, she has totally corrupted her husband, Jehoram who is the next in line to the throne of Judah in Jerusalem. Queen of Judah, the daughter of Jezebel, Athaliah, plots her future with dark, dark, sinister seeds. She falls in line with the devil's strategy. It's utterly horrible to consider what's about to happen. This is like the opposite of what happens with the book of Esther. Esther, who through faith and favor, when the heart of the king of Persia and becomes the queen of the most powerful nation in the world. A believer in the heart of the Persian Empire. Now through manipulation, Athaliah is now married to the king of Judah, who reigns in Jerusalem, the seat of God on earth. Using manipulation and power and dark strategies and no doubt witchcraft, she now indirectly controls Judah and God's city, Jerusalem. She is now the devil's hand in the midst of Jerusalem. She's going to do all she can to achieve more power and to keep it. Further, the enemy has had plans for Jerusalem and Judah for some time. The devil wants nothing more than to fulfill his ancient demonic strategy of destroying the line of David, whose eternal kingdom prophesied to David would potentially bring about the Messiah later. But it is this eternal promise that the devil fears in the first prophecy that the heel of the descendants of Eve would crush the head of the snake. If the devil can take out the entire line of David, God could not fulfill his promise. This is the devil's goal, but as well, I mean, he would love for the temple to be destroyed, Judah and the entire nation of Israel. He would use Athaliah's greed and fear of loss of power, Jezebel and Athaliah's witchcraft and Baal worship to attempt to achieve this. Evil uses evil. Even those committed to darkness are used by their masters. It's the nature of evil. If the devil could destroy the family line of David, God could not fulfill his promise of having an eternal kingdom in Judah and prevent any additional spiritual fulfillment of this word. This was the devil's goal. Using Athaliah's fear and lust for power, the enemy uses Athaliah to fulfill his purposes. Her first strategy was to convince her husband that he needed absolute power by killing off his brothers. Only a demented and paranoid fool would do this. So let's just say Jehoshaphat's firstborn son was both of these. 2 Chronicles 21.4 When Jehoram established himself firmly over his father's kingdom, he put all his brothers to the sword along with some of the officials of Israel. 
Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. What a horrible, horrible thing. Josephat would have been shocked that his son, his firstborn son, killed off his brothers in a bid for absolute power. So sad to see Jehoshaphat's legacy torn from under him immediately upon his death. To consider that he killed off his brothers is just terrible. God in his wrath probably should have taken Jehoram out, maybe with worms or something really nasty. But check out the next phrase. Interesting how God didn't kill him off because he carried the bloodline of Jesus in his veins. Strange how his life was spared because he was the only survivor of the bloodline of Jesus. Until his son is old enough to become king, he has a ransom on his own life. Second Chronicles 21, 7 Nevertheless, because of the covenant of the Lord and made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. Interesting, God promised David to not allow his line to be killed off, much less, you know, the eternal kingdom would come through him. So the only one left was Jehoram, who was this horrible king. Despite judgment on his house and his nation because of his awful behavior, God was going to spare Jehoram. Next, he goes to Edom and gets defeated, and Libna breaks from Judah, and he sins greatly. I mean, all these judgments are coming upon Jehoram, but God's going to allow him to basically hang on to power until his his children or any of his children are old enough to become the next king. Second Chronicles 21.8 In the time of Jehoram, Edom rebelled against Judah and set up his own king. So Jehoram went there with his officers and all his chariots. The Edomites surrounded him and his chariot commanders, but he rose up and broke through by night. To this day, Edom has been in rebellion against Judah. Libna revolted at the same time because Jehoram had forsaken the Lord, the God of his ancestors. He had also built high places on the hills of Judah and had caused the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves, and he led Judah astray. At this point, Elisha most likely hears from God that it was time for him to unlock one of those sealed orders from Elijah. One of them was addressed to Jehoram, and it was a rebuke written by Elijah. So, for a little clarity, Elisha delivers the prophetic rebuke that was most likely written in letter form by Elijah before his death. So, Jehoram is going to receive a letter from Elijah after his death, rebuking him. I'll explain more later. Second Chronicles 21:12. Jehoram received a letter from Elijah the prophet, which said, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. You have not followed the ways of your father Jehoshaphat or of Asa, king of Judah, but you have followed the ways of the kings of Israel, and you have led Judah and the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves, just as the house of Ahab did. You have also murdered your own brothers, members of your own family, men who are better than you. Now the Lord is about to strike your people, your sons, your wives, and everything that is yours with a heavy blow. You yourself will be very ill with the lingering disease of the bowels until the disease causes your bowels to come out. All right, so wait a second. Did Elijah really write a letter before his death prophesying the doom to Jehoram and destruction via military campaign and a horrible disease? 
Well, the commentaries are really up in the air on this one. I mean, all the interpretations and the theories out there. There's many possibilities. Here are the top three. Number one, Second Chronicles and this part of the Book of Kings do not coincide very well, and their timelines are a bit off. So this isn't unheard of. After all, Judges has that appendix at the end, and it's hard to track a history of one of one people and two nations kind of coinciding together with two books. So that's a possibility. Number two, Elijah somehow was dead, and he did write the letter, and it was delivered from heaven. Yet that's even more supernatural. Uh, number three, what just happened and how he explained it. He knew ahead of time, and I personally agree with this one, because Elijah already knew the future of the kings of Aram and Israel and Judah. He was a prophet. So I... That's the theory we're going with, that he wrote the letter before his death, knowing what was going to happen, and he asked Elisha to, to deliver it for him. Regardless, from here on out, it's going to get nasty for this guy, just nasty. It happens word for word. Death to his family, the riches of Judah stolen, and a horrible disease. Second Chronicles twenty one sixteen. The Lord aroused against Jehoram the hostility of the Philistines and of the Arabs who lived near the Cushites. They attacked Judah, invaded it, and carried off all the goods found in the king's palace, together with his sons and wives. Not a son was left to him except his youngest child. Jehoram failed in every aspect, spiritually, administratively, and his end is coming. What's amazing is the swiftness of God's judgment upon him. I believe it was delayed because he had to have children in the bloodline of Jesus. But once they were old enough, his judgment was, was due. But what we can't forget is judgment begins with the house of God. His proximity to Jerusalem only accelerated his judgment. The treasures of Jerusalem were taken. It appears Ethiopians or Egyptians in alliance with Philistia again. Just like after Solomon came and defeated Judah. And as well, in this case, you, we also have Arabs that were involved. I find it interesting what little space these invasions get. It's like after chapters of military victories and wonderful actions of faith, once defeat comes in judgment, they attack Judah and carry off its treasure, kill off some wives and daughters and, and children, and it's over now. The invasion gets a line or two in the Bible. No need to give the enemy any more airtime. Next, Jehoram is stricken. Second Chronicles twenty one eighteen. After all this, the Lord afflicted Jehoram with an incurable disease of the bowels. In the course of time, at the end of the second year, his bowels came out because of the disease. He died in great pain. His people made no funeral fire in his honor as they had for their predecessors. Jehoram was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He passed away to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. So, I'm not going to research his, uh, I haven't researched his uh, his actual disease, because it just doesn't sound fun. So, sorry guys if you wanted that detail, but um, it was awful. He died of some awful disease. After Jehoram dies, his son, Aziah, will rule in Jerusalem. To conclude this episode, a message to kings, we've got to understand one horrible decision killed off the revival in Judah. 
It was Jehoshaphat who started revival in Judah, and it was him who fueled it for years. But it was Jehoshaphat who killed off his own revival with a simple decision. It's the problem with monarchy. The king, when good, brings revival and thousands into the kingdom of heaven. When the king was bad, thousands were doomed to hell. At least those who fell in line with and followed the pattern set forth by the bad king. What I want to emphasize is how horrible this is. Jerusalem, God's seat on earth, was just invaded and captured and his treasures were looted and princes were slaughtered in the streets. It was a horrible, horrible time right after the wonders and revivals of Jehoshaphat. Let this be a gut check into the power, the fear of the Lord, and the importance to those God has placed under our authority. It is our obligation to steward God's presence and authority. Let us never be complacent and let the next generation die a spiritual death because of bad decisions. Jehoshaphat killed his own revival when he allowed Athaliah to marry his son. The enemy is always looking for a weakness. In Jehoshaphat, he found it, his desire to be like the king of Israel in power and fame. He didn't respect his faith, but his prestige. He wanted unity so badly, he agreed to an alliance through marriage which doomed his family. The innocence of his realm was corrupted by his soul tie with the demonic king and nation. This soul tie pulled and pulled at him until he nearly died at Ramoth Gilead. But when the soul tie became even stronger upon his death, the next generation perished. His nation was punished, invaded, and his sons were murdered and grandchildren were killed in the streets. This did not have to happen if it wasn't for that one decision he made. If he wouldn't have allowed Athaliah to marry his son, her idol-worshipping, hateful heart and Jezebel-thinking ways tore apart the leadership of his country and ceased his revival. Thousands who were spiritually fed were instantly hungry and starving for God's word. So let's make this practical. Have you ever made a bad decision that you know altered your fate and circumstances? Almost too many of them, maybe, that you can hardly even count. That's what's happened here. Everything flipped in this situation with one bad decision. Wish you could go back and change time. Well, this is not physically possible, but spiritually God changes things. He can reverse situations and turn them for good. That's what God does. God will keep his line alive in Jerusalem and fulfill his word. That's just what God loves to do. And no matter how bad we mess it up. Romans 8:28. We know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him. This scripture clearly states that God can use all things and will use all things, the good and the bad, the wonderful acts of faith and the acts of foolish sin, and turn them for good to those who love him. God who always saved Jehoshaphat from himself will save his family and use it to tell a story of his protection and redemption when all seem to be lost to Jezebel and her daughter Athaliah and their puppet kings. Things will marginally improve in Judah, then darkness will appear to prevail again, but a little light will be hidden in order to restore the true kingdom of David. As long as Jezebel and Athaliah indirectly control the thrones of Judah and Israel, the people must pray and have their faith that God will restore all things.
The horrible deeds of the flesh must be and will be atoned for, and God's greater story will be told of restoration and redemption. And we all know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.